hello, Brandy Kelly here. Welcome back to the Sober Bartender Podcast, the show where we recover from life. Today's guest is Leslie Kissling. Leslie has an incredible story to share with us today. She's been described as a phoenix rising from the ashes and a throw-the-cap-away drinker. I definitely identify with that. How many boxes do we have to check before we truly surrender? So without further ado, welcome Leslie Kissling. It's Leslie. Leslie, welcome to the show. Well, thanks, Brandy. Yes. Glad to be here. I'm so glad you're here. So um, Leslie has an incredible story. She does incredible work. And I've just recently got to meet her and I knew I had to bring her here and share her with everybody. So Leslie, will you, I mean, do you want to start with um, like what you do now? Do you want to start with where you've been? Well, I was born at a very young age. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, currently uh, I am a recovery coach uh, at the Council on Alcohol and Drug Abuse, Coastal Bend. Uh, I am getting my LCDC and uh, currently I have to do some practicum hours. And uh, so I'll be leaving the council in a couple of weeks and just focusing on knocking out those practicum hours so I can move closer to getting my LCDC license. And uh, that requires a little bit of internship. So can you tell us what an LCDC license is just for people? Sure. <laughs> yeah. So LCDC is a licensed chemical dependency counselor. So basically a drug and alcohol counselor. An LCDC is the only counselor's license you can get in Texas without a master's degree. And the reason for that is because they find that alcoholics and addicts do better with other alcoholics and addicts. So the, they made the program a little bit different. You can um, get you can get an associate's in addiction studies, and then when you graduate, you have to do four thousand hours of internship. So that's kind of in lieu of you know going on for your master's. You can also, you know, go ahead and get a master's and then you don't have to do your your uh, internship. But um, actually, when you do graduate in the addiction studies program, you're a, you're allowed to uh, with that with that diploma. You can then turn around and apply with the Texas State Board. And then you're an LCDC dash I, which is a LCDC intern. It's a paid internship. And um, and then you uh, actually work in a clinical setting to knock out those 4,000 hours. And then you take the state exam. 4,000 hours. <laughs> well, I mean, it sounds like a lot, but, uh, you know, if you break it down, it's, if you work a 40-hour week, it's a one year. So, yeah, I guess that, yeah, and one day at a time, right? One day at a time, you know? <laughs> Because I still have that brain to where I'm like, oh, God, you've got to do 4,000 hours. But I'm like, well, you know, you just do one hour at a time, one day at a time. And yeah, either way, you're on the road to doing what you want to do. And this matters. Right. <laughs> this matters to you. Correct. It, it sure does. Yes, it does. So um, we talked previously and you kind of told me like this fulfills a need. Like this fills a need that you found yourself needing at one point. Right. So I guess I'll, I guess I'll tell you my story you know, and kind of what brought me to where I am today. Okay. So I'm the youngest of 12 kids. I'm from San Antonio, big Catholic family. 
alcoholism definitely has been present in my in my family. I lost a brother in 2013, and then my oldest brother has been sober since I was little. For me, I had a pretty normal upbringing, a pretty normal childhood, good parents. I uh, went to a private school relatively popular in high school. I was involved with a lot of activities, but I realized that I was gay. And so uh, my family wasn't having that. And that paired with my sister, uh, my sister was murdered and it was a, ho- it was horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, my, our family really wasn't ready for that. And it really, really shocked my parents. And so my parents were kind of in a funk and uh, here I am trying to be who I'm going to be and they weren't having it. And I started drinking and it made me forget about how sad I was. It just, it turned into my go-to thing, you know? And then my first attempt to get sober, I was 23, but I didn't know I was an alcoholic. I just thought I needed to grow up. And so I joined the Air Force. And uh, so little did I know, you know, I thought that when you watch things about the military on TV and you think of regimented lifestyle, right? You think of doing boot camp and yes, sir. Yes, sir. Once you get out of boot camp, those people drink and they drink a lot. And so I found myself, you know, just right back (laughs) with the same problem I had when I went in, but I didn't realize it. And I spent a lot of years just paddling, you know, upstream, upstream without a paddle and fighting this disease that I didn't even know I had and thinking that it was a moral problem, that what, what's wrong with me? Why can't I control my drinking? My family can. And, you know, at all the family functions, everybody would be drinking. And for me, if I would have one drink, something would click in my brain and I could not stop until I was inebriated, passed out. And, you know, it just got worse and worse. And, you know, I was very smart and I had a lot going for me and people liked me. So I always found good jobs. So I was like essentially living two lives, you know, I would do my job. And then as soon as I punched out or left work, I was just going to go get as drunk as I could get. And I like to say I would throw the cap away because that's what kind of drinker I was. I would get a bottle of whiskey, open it and throw the cap away because I didn't need it. Or, you know, I would go meet, you know, friends, friends out and we would go to places where they would overserve you, throw you free, the free shots and not cut you off. And I would drive home. And I did this for probably 20 years, yeah. six or seven days a week. Me too. And it was just how I dealt with things and, and, and for a long time, it was fun. I was the life of the party, man. I was like, Hank the Tank, like, to drink anyone under the table. And, you know, I, it was, I was the party animal. But, you know, after, after a while, you get it to be in your 30s and, and things start changing. And for me, that looked like more and more blackouts and more and more arrests. And I'm like, why are they picking on me? And, you know, I'm just trying to get home. I'm not going to hit anybody, you know, and uh, it really was my, it was so counterintuitive to the things that I was trying to do with my life because 
I would go periods where I would abstain on my own and do really well. I, I worked for an advertising agency and I wrote and direct TV commercials and radio spots and I was a DJ on the radio and I started a magazine. I was the editor in chief of the magazine. But any little thing in my life would set me off on a course again to that drinking that I couldn't stop. So I kept setting my life on fire. And, you know, I had a friend that said, oh, my gosh, you, you're like the most perfect version of a phoenix. Because, like, I would burn to the ground and then rise again mm -hmm. and, and do something different. But, um, you know, I always felt like I had to prove myself to people, like by what I was doing uh, for employment or, you know, whatever my career goal was. And, um, you know, I felt when I was around my family that I just I had something to prove because really I was dying inside. But I really was also dying for their acceptance. And um, and so. I, uh, I decided that, um, I was going to start writing. Um, you know, I had started a, a magazine and had done a lot of articles in there. And so I started writing screenplays. I had a screenplay that, that I wrote and I was backed by the San Antonio film commission, Texas film commission. And I made it all the way to present it to an executive with Sony pictures at South by Southwest. And they seemed interested and I was like, oh, hell yeah, I've arrived. And I was so excited after that meeting with that executive that I just, I drank so much in my room, just out of nerves, nervousness. And I was so excited because I was at the point where I drank when I was excited. I drank when I was happy. I drank when I was sad. I drank, you know, when I was bored. I deserved it, right? And so... I, uh, a couple of weeks later, they turned me down mm -hmm. and instead of going, wow, I'm a pretty new screenplay writer and I had the opportunity to pitch something I wrote to Sony pictures. And that's pretty cool. Like keep going, you know, you're doing something right. Instead of thinking like healthy, like that and being positive, I let it spiral me back into another vendor. So at this point, you know, I was just spiraling downward and um, I was on probation for my third DWI. And I went out after work and just did a bunch of things I shouldn't have done. I, I over consumed. I blacked out. And I drove home and uh, I hit two parked cars in my neighborhood. And I went and tried to hide. Like my thinking was, I'm going to go drive way back into my neighborhood and park my parallel park somewhere and wait, sleep it off. And then, you know, call my insurance company tomorrow. And then that way the police won't be called. I won't get a fourth DWI, which amazes me that I could think that way as drunk as I was. But uh, that was my plan. It didn't go too well. There was a lady that followed me and she said, I saw what you did and you know, I got I got out and got mad at her and I started punching her car mm -hmm. and uh, I punched the whole front bumper off of her Lexus and broke my arm. And when EMS showed up, I hit that guy. So when I woke up in jail again, I was looking at two misdemeanors for the cars I hit, 
a DWI four and an assault on a peace officer. And I just looked in the mirror, you know, in jail, there's that scratchy, you know, metal doesn't really resemble a mirror, but I looked at that. I didn't know who I was anymore, you know, and I didn't remember any of it. I had to read it off the police report. And I just saw, you know, how sad it made my mom. My mom was my enabler, but she just did it because she loved me so much, you know? And, um, so once I got bonded out, they weren't going to bond me out. I was being held without a bond actually, but they got me out and, you know, I was just so low. I was so, I had never felt so low and ashamed, hopeless. And I told my mom, I said, I promise you I'll never touch a drop of alcohol again in my life. And so my sponsor says to me, um, you know, cause I do work a swell step program uh, at this point, we don't make promises like that. We operate one day at a time. And I said, well, if I have to do it one day at a time, I intend to keep my promise. And so my, my lawyer worked a deal with the DA that, um, if I signed for a two year sentence for violating my probation, they would drop all the new charges. And so I was like, okay, I'll take it. I mean, and that was God doing for me what I couldn't do for myself. So I had to, I was very, very scared, um, knowing that I was going to prison this time. And so I picked a sponsor that I knew had been to prison that could walk me through that and help me navigate through it. Um, I put myself into a little rehab and outpatient rehab in San Antonio. It was then that I realized that I didn't want, I, I didn't so much listen to the ones that just went to school for it. So the counselors that were addicts and alcoholics that had, you know, gotten clean, gotten sober, and then went back to school to be a drug and alcohol counselors, those are the ones I wanted to work with because it resonated. It gave me hope. There was something in their eyes, you know, they had that scar, that, that look in their eyes. It's almost a scar, the battle wound you know, that I've been there, I've been there. And let me help you walk, let me help you walk through this. You know, you're in a deep, dark pit and I know where the ladder is. And so I put all of my faith and trust into my higher power and into this new way of living that was shutting up and taking some suggestions and uh, doing the next right thing. And above all, just getting real honest with myself. And that meant no more little white lies you know, I'd be driving to work and going, you know, I'm notoriously five to 10 minutes late everywhere. And so I was like already thinking in my head, I'm going to text my boss and tell him, oh, there's a crash or, you know, there's a wreck oh, in yeah. traffic. But I'm like, oh, nope, you're going to tell the truth. And so I realized that by doing that little by little, I let go of a lot of baggage and I didn't have to look over my shoulder and wonder, what did I tell that person? And what did I tell that person? You know, I knew that I could let a lot of that go. And so, uh, so I realized that I had an opportunity with prison. Um, I lost my, the, the state seized my vehicle. I lost my house, you know? Um, and so it gave me a chance to just make everything right. Um, I got to do my time and pay my debt to society. And in doing that, I got to put all that behind me and start over. And so it, essentially it let me kind of start off with a clean slate. And I like to say, 
God really shook up my snow globe because <laughs> while I was in prison, while I was in prison, that's when I lost everything, including my mother. My mother passed while I was locked up, and I was beyond. It was beyond horrible um, watching her slip away through a prison phone, and uh, they didn't let me go to the funeral. It was horrible, but I had to look at the positives where. I was kind of forced to face those emotions without even being tempted to use. And God kept me safe and sober during the death of my mother, no matter what it took, because I can't guarantee I wouldn't have gone back out over that. So it kind of gave me that, that sorrow and that pain and everything that I endured. I know it was my higher power getting me ready for something bigger. And so I feel like my program of recovery and the people that were helping me get through this were an indicator that everything is going to be okay. That it helped me. It really taught me a lot of patience and God's time. And I was able to, even in incarceration, ask my higher power to show me some things while I was there. And I talked to people and I talked to women. They stopped having meetings in there because of COVID. And so I started having little meetings in our dorm with maybe just four people. I asked my sponsor to send me a format for a meeting and some materials. And we would just have a little meeting every night with like maybe three or four people. I got to, I got to meet a lot of people and, and realize that there's so many people that are just getting locked up that don't aren't getting the tools that they need when they get out. You know, when I realized that I wanted to work, do some work in prisons, I, I would like to work in some of the prison um, rehabilitation programs and offer those, those women the hope that they so need. And just even any kind of tool, you never know when you're going to plant the seed of recovery in somebody. So that's my, my thing. I'm a, I'm doing my LCDC. I'm done with all my classes. I just have to do my uh, practicums and my internship. That's where, where I am today. That's incredible. So much loss and so much pain. And then right at the time where you're just getting a little piece of getting to know who you are and then not being able to like even step into that. I feel like your story, especially the the piece of you going to prison. I hear so many people that don't want to face what they have. They feel like prison is like their death sentence. Like that's the end of the road. And I've found that the women I've talked to that have had to go to prison have been like, it, it changed everything. Like being able to face it. Like sometimes that's where they get sober. Sometimes that's where you can't go and you can't, you know, you can't use and you're protected from yourself. And it's just a matter of, like you said, having the tools and having the resources to be able to turn that into something positive and be able to, you know, take that into your life when you leave. If you introduce people while they're still a captive audience, if you introduce them to the recovery lifestyle, they may, it, it it's scary at first. I know it's scary at first. I, I denied it for so long that I had a problem. You know, I ran from it. I, tr- I tried any which way to define myself other than alcoholic or drug addict. And it's scary. You When you go to your first meeting and they're using this different language that just sounds different. And 
being forced to go by probation, you know, you're like, you've got your, your defenses up, you know, and you're, when you have a captive audience, like people that are incarcerated, you can start introducing them to the lingo and, and that, that hope and that zeal, I guess, that goes with being happy, joyous, and free showing people I'm proof that recovery works and I'm happy and I have a life worth living today, but here's how I did it. And so, you know, giving them any kind of hope, any kind of lingo, introducing them to the lifestyle of recovery of someone that actually is, has a life worth living that enjoys life today and that recovery is possible and you don't have to give up, you know, those things. You just have to let go of, you know, some of those behaviors that, that keep bringing people back into that cycle, the recidivism. And, you know, like so many people that I met were like, Oh, this is my fourth time being locked up, you know? And so it, but they all say this time's different. This time's different. Well, what's different about it? Yeah. Yeah, Nothing changes. Nothing changes. That's the thing. Right. You might believe it with every inch of, of being in your, every fiber of your being, you'll believe this time is going to be different. But if you don't have the tools or know what to do, then you go back to, right. Nothing changes. Nothing changes. Yeah. And that's like the hope. The hope came for me with the action. Like, okay, there is something that I can do. Like I'm not just because surrender sounded like, Oh, I'm powerless. Like, oh, I have to just admit that I have no power. But I'm like realizing that no, like just because I had a job and I still had a roof over my head and I still had a car doesn't mean that I'm not an alcoholic, like redefining what I understood an alcoholic to be. And then just recognizing that all these things that are happening in my life are stemming because of the choices that I'm making. And one of the main choices that I'm making is I'm choosing to drink. I chose to drink, drink to the point where then I didn't have a choice whether I drank or not. Right. And so when you do get sober, you have the opportunity to examine your motives. Right. And so, you know, things change and your perspective changes as there's a psychic shift. What can I say? Yeah. And it's hard to explain. And that's why we have to just live it out and like be the example of what recovery looks like. Right. And, and for me, I'm not afraid to say there's a lot of different trends in recovery now. Um, there's a lot of ways to recover. But for me, it's my higher power, you know, who I call God, got me through a lot of things. And I realized that I was hurting because I was paying the consequences for my actions. But it gave me the gift of despair. So I knew how bad it could feel. And since I know how bad it can be, now I know the total opposite about how good it can be. Um, and I appreciate that. And I appreciate the things that you can do in recovery. Helping people, to me, is more, I get more of a high from helping people today than any drug or alcohol ever gave me. And a sense of peace. And I believe my God of my understanding is love Mm -hmm. and you know, God is love. And to me, every morning, when I say my little morning prayers, I ask God, please make me a big ball of bright, shiny light that can help people today. 
and let my let your love shine through me. And so that being said, when I was in my in the cups, when I was drinking, I held my head down. I didn't look at people in the eye. I, I there was only this much room in my life for people. And today there's no limit. There's no limit to the amount of love I can show other people. And that's just by being kind to people, doing the next right thing. I mean, we're social beings, but in our addiction, we just try to isolate and hide. And then our thinking takes over and it just snowballs. But in recovery, it teaches us help other people, to talk to other people, to be human again. And that's a beautiful thing when we can just enjoy other people again. And part of that is helping. Part of that is having boundaries. Part of that is having healthy relationships, you know, and just extending ourselves um, to other people, you know? Yes. How I do it. <laughs> and I learned all of those things in taking the 12 steps, you know, oh, right. like it took a relapse for me to have, I was desperate when I first got sober, like I needed a medical detox. Like I was physically addicted to alcohol and it took 11 months for me to think that I could safely drink again, forgot all about the pain and the misery and how hard it was. So after drinking again and realizing how much worse it got in a short period of time, I was so desperate, but I, I realized in going back and in getting a new sponsor, getting a sponsor, you said you found a, a sponsor who had been to prison and knew. I found a sponsor who is a bartender and she knows kind of what I do. And she had a, a slightly similar story to yours, you know, um, grew up in a very religious family, realized that she was gay. That was not accepted. She felt abandoned by God and by, you know, the people that she cared about. And then going into the army and then realizing that, you know, the structure that she craved also brought the same thing that she was trying to get away from. So when I heard her story, I went, okay, now she's got this structure and that's exactly what she provided. But it also taught me, like you said, the boundaries and the healthy relationships. And like, I thought that I, I went from feeling like I was a victim to feeling like I was just the bulldozer and I had to apologize and let people talk to me however they did. And I had to take everything that the world gave me because I was bad. And she was like, no, no, we're not that either. And so I learned like this balance and I learned how to take care of myself, which makes it much easier to help serve others because I'm not emotionally like still beating on myself. Bankrupt. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I just identified a lot with what you said with like where, uh, where I've been. That's another thing. Um, my first sponsor, my first sponsor <laughs> was, she was a ball buster and she talked to me like I was in third grade. I didn't like it, but you know, I went through, you know, a, a couple more sponsors, but there's some things that she said that still resonate with me. And one of them is, when, when you listen to people talk or share, try to find the similarities instead of the differences, you know, and that I remember that when I was in prison, because when I first got there, I was like, I'm going to do my time and get out of here. You know, uh, you know, I'm not going to make friends, you know, and, and after a little while, I, I, that, that what she said, I could hear it playing like a tape in my head. If you find the similarities instead of the differences, 
then you're the human nature. That's the human nature of things. Right. Mm-hmm. And you can relate to people. And so I guess I let that guard down and, you know, and I, I met some people that said very powerful things to me, you know, and it was God moments. Like this one woman said to me, I feel like God needed me to meet you today and talk to you today, or you've given me a completely different outlook on my addiction or, you know, just even being in the worst of circumstances and still being of service, you know, got me through that. And in my darkest days, you know, I mean, I went through some hell in there, you know, losing my mom and then even my cat died. And I was just like, what else? I only got locked up for 11 months and like the, like God shook up my snow globe. But, uh, you know, it wasn't, you know, every day I would be miserable and sad and sad that my mom died. And I would ask God, please today, can you just give me one little bit of joy? And there would be nothing. And then the next day, God, please just give me a little bit of joy. And there would be nothing. So it wasn't until I asked God to please today give me some acceptance Mm -hmm. that things started to change for me. And, you know, it's that that's when I realized God didn't put me in prison. I put me in prison, but God's going to get me through it. You know, God doesn't do things to you. You're not punished for we're punished. By the state, yes, but you know, God's there's gonna consequences. Yes, correct. But there's also when you put all your when you put your faith in God, you can grow, right? Yes. You can grow from your mistakes and learn something. And like I said, I came out of that whole situation just with the outlook that you know, I I went through this pain and this super hard circumstance so that I could prepare myself for something bigger. And now you get to live that. Right. And, you know, I look at it as a blessing, you know, more than more than anything. Um, I, I get to put my whole past behind me and, you know, move. I, I got to move down here to the coast with my oldest brother and, you know, be by the water. And I do grounding things today, take my shoes off and walk in the sand on the shore and look at how, how beautiful the world is today. Yeah. And I feel like those are not things that we were able to do. Like I didn't have the capacity for those things. No, no. Had a big empty hole in my heart, but I had to fill with chemicals and poison. The God sized hole. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. I had it too. Yep. (laughs) Yeah. You said something that I really try to echo to people and it's not because I try to push, but in taking accountability for my actions and not feeling like I was a victim and God wasn't punishing me, but I was choosing these things, gave me the power. I get to choose. Like I live in God's world and God gave me choice. And so every single day I get to choose. And that, that gives me like such a feeling of freedom because I choose to rely on God to keep me sober today. Like I choose to be in recovery. I don't choose to pick up a drink. I can be around alcohol. I can be around situations and I can choose to leave if I'm uncomfortable. I can choose to listen to my internal, like my intuition and my internal messages that tell me whether a place is good for me or not. 
and I did not have that. Like those alarms would go off and like that was another high. <laughs> right. Another uh, something that you just said resonated with me also, because now that I've been in school uh, to be a counselor, I've had to take a lot of um, like pharmacology classes. Right. And so they're teaching us about the brain and about the body and how the bo body metabolizes certain things. And you know, the route, routes of administration and the half-lives. And I'm realizing, you know, we've had a lot of, I've, I've done a lot of study on the brain and, and how intricate our brain and our body is, 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 is a miracle. I mean, our brain is like, it's like a computer made of meat and we're do we're, you know, it's got this thing called the blood brain barrier that protects it from poison and substances that can harm it. But we keep putting this in our body and knowing full well it's going to our brain. And like, are we asking to, you know, are we asking by putting poison in our bodies to be, you know, walking vegetables? It's just, I have a totally different perspective on mind altering substances now um, because I know today I appreciate my body and my brain and what it does and what a work a miracle it is. I choose not to use substances for that reason also, because I respect the, the vessel that God gave me to carry through this life. And, and, um, and I respect it. And so like, there's all kinds of different philosophies that I have on, on sobriety today that, you know, all make sense. They all make sense. For a long time, when I was relapsing and in and out of the rooms and kept relapsing, I didn't, I kept trying to define God. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, being raised Catholic, you know, I just was taught either believe this or you're going to hell. You know, I didn't have a connection, an automatic connection. I even going to private schools, Catholic schools growing up, you know, I was good because I was a good person, but I didn't have that prayer connection with, with my higher power. I essentially, God was the same thing to me as Santa Claus, right? He's a guy with a white beard that you ask for stuff. And I was always asking for something, you know, I prayed when I needed something and um, I didn't have that, that connection today. I realize that God is so much bigger than you could ever define. And I'm not even going to pretend to understand it. And I believe that I believe in vibration and the vibration of the universe and the Ananis Nin. I'm probably going to botch this. So don't quote me the same force that created the stars created you. How powerful is that? And, you know, that being said, everything in the universe has a, is, is operating on a vibrational frequency and, when we can quiet all the other things down in our life and focus on that, that's when we can connect and really feel, feel that spiritual connection and, and feel how connected we are and, and what our purpose is. You know, when people find their purpose, things change. <laughs> Everything yes. changes. So. Yes, they do. And my very first sponsor, she described uh, my connection to my higher power as this tube. She said, you've got this tube and she, you know, I always go for my solar plex because that's where I feel now, uh, you know, that's where I feel that 
energy in me, but she said, you have this tube and all the things that you do and all the thoughts that you think and all the drugs that you drug and the drinks that you drink are clogging up that tube. And then with the 12 steps, we're unclogging that tube so that then your connection is open. And um, like, I totally, I uh, what you said about like the man with the beard, like I grew up Mormon and I always say, like, you know, I knew that Jesus wanted me for a sunbeam, like the songs we would sing in Sunday school. But I knew from that early, early age that yeah. you were good or bad. And I just I would do bad stuff like I would steal or I would sneak and I would lie about everything. And just I I didn't feel good. So I felt like there was definitely a God and it was probably whatever you thought it was. But it wasn't for me. There was a God for everybody, but I didn't get one. Right. And so carrying that in, like, it was really neat to just strip away all of the ideas that I had and just go, I don't know, but I'm trusting that you're there and then letting that develop in my life. Right. And, you know, for me, um, here's another one of my Leslieisms. Um, I, I like to say that I'm God dandelion. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So like, God, you know, God's going to blow me and my little seed pods are going to blow wherever he needs me. So I kind of have to stay open to that, you know. Um, and, uh, you know, people say, what are you going to be doing in five years? And, you know, I that my philosophy is I just have to stay in tuned with my higher power to find my purpose in five years. You know, I'm not going to think that far ahead. I don't know about you, but I was not on this path five years ago. So oh, no. to no. think, to think that I know what's going to happen in five years from now. And that's insane. Yes. Nope. I don't yeah. want to know. Cause then I try to control it and I would screw it up and God does it so perfectly. I keep this little sign like right near eye level. God has a vision far greater than my sight. And it was like a 50 cent thing at a yard sale, but it has been the most valuable when I feel like disappointment or I feel like things aren't going my way. I'm like, cause they're not supposed to. Yeah. I don't need to control everything. I don't need to understand everything. I just need to accept, you know, accept life on life's terms and navigate through it, doing the next right thing, staying connected to source energy, you know, yeah. it's a practice though, you know, takes some work. <laughs> yes. And I say this often, but like in, in my sponsor, in our lineage, like it's really involved. Like it's three contacts a day. It's, you know, 11th step, you do your meditation in the morning and you journal. And then that goes from sponsor to sponsee. Mm-hmm. And then you do either a check-in call or text daily not with what you're doing, but how you're doing. And then every night we use the My Spiritual Toolkit. So we go through and it asks, you know, were we resentful? Were we selfish? It asks all of the questions for your 11 step, for your uh, nightly inventory. And that goes sponsor to sponsee with a prayer at the end. You know, right. forgive me for my sins, remove my defects. You know, please watch out for others. Like it's every single night. And that's... yeah. And that's all through our lineage that goes. And so that's pretty awesome. It really is because I'm in South Texas and my sponsor's in Seattle and there's no difference in our connection oh, wow. because we are on it. 
I had a long distance sponsor when I first got out, but I have one here now. Yeah. And I thought that it would be terrible. And then I thought about it and I went, we have three contacts a day. Like we don't miss a beat. Right. So. Uh, You know, and uh, something you said made me think when I was in early sobriety, I wrote on both my palms, thy will be done. And I just, thy will be done. Thy will be done. (laughs) 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 Not mine. Yeah. Thy will be done. So. Because it's hard to remember, you know. We do. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I love it though. Yeah. Yeah, I love it too. Well, I just want to say that from where I'm sitting, you are absolutely that bright shining light that you ask God to make you. Like I love, I love that I get to know you. (laughs) Oh, thank you. I feel the same. I like what you're doing. Um, I can totally relate. You know, I used to be in media. And so in early sobriety, I was always trying to think, what can I do with my media background and, you know, what I'm doing now? So that might be something else, you know, down the road. Yes. I didn't ever think, I didn't know what I was going to be doing, but I did, I felt like there was, this piece was missing and I just didn't know what it was. So I just kept praying for guidance. And then when it was like in front of my face, I was like, oh, thank you. Okay. Well, you're a natural. Oh, (laughs) well, thank you. Some days it's really smooth and some days it's sandpaper. (laughs) I definitely just love talking to people (laughs) and But I love talking about recovery. What can you talk about all day, every day? Recovery. Recovery. And even if it's not recovery from alcoholism, it's recovery from self, whatever it is. Right. Right. Because the alcohol was but a symptom. Yeah. And it's, you know, we don't know that at first, but once we figure that out, like you take the alcohol away, there's still a lot of stuff there that you know, needs to unravel. Yeah. Uh, When I went through outpatient rehab the last time, I had to write a goodbye letter to alcohol at the end. I love those. And uh, it was pretty funny. My counselor laughed so hard. I was like, you lied to me. You, you know, and then at the very end, I put, P.S. I know you had other girlfriends. (laughs) (laughs) I always cry when I hear that. That was a breakup letter. I'm sorry. Breakup letter. Yeah. I love it. Because it's true. We have that yeah. relationship. We're closer to our alcohol than anyone. Well, it's comfort. It was yeah. the comfort that I needed. You know, it, it, I could always turn to it until it turned on me. Yeah. Me too. And then it wasn't fun anymore, but my brain kept telling me it was. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to lie. You know, it was fun for a little while. Yeah. I had a lot of fun. Just, there was a lot of bad. A lot of bad, yes. Yeah, who ever told me it, it would be a good idea to drive around Austin naked in a car? <laughs> the things we do. Yeah. Seemed like a good idea at the time. I bet. I'm sure I would have thought that was a good idea at once, too. Yeah, I don't do that today sober. So. No. Yeah, I've learned yeah. a few things. It is wonderful. I'm so glad that you came on here and talked to us. I love what you're doing. I can't wait to follow your career and yeah. hopefully if you do get a podcast going that I can jump on there with you. Yeah. 
I don't know. I don't know if I would do a podcast. I was thinking about maybe some self-help books or, um, you know, um, maybe some kind of documentary. I'm not sure. It hasn't hit me yet, but we'll see. That's all right. When, yeah. When, when God brings the inspiration, I hope my mind is open. <laughs> okay. So thank you again, Leslie. You're welcome. All right. Thank you so much for listening today. There's so much that I identified with in Leslie's story. I feel like we've all been in a position where we felt like we had something to prove and we were dying for acceptance. Not all of us have been to prison. Um, Not all of us have had DWIs, but a lot of us who drink, like I drink the way that Leslie drank, and it's just a matter of when. It's a matter of yet. Um, Because if you haven't gotten you know, those kind of consequences, it doesn't mean that you're not going to. And I love, love, love how Leslie says that God shook up her snow globe. Because when she said that, I absolutely knew what she meant. If you enjoyed this episode, if you're enjoying the podcast, please give us a subscribe, like, and share. And definitely rate and review so you can help us be heard and seen by the people that need to hear the messages that we are sharing on this show. I thank you so much for being here. I want you to know that you matter, and I'm glad that you're here. If you're struggling, please keep swimming. I love you guys so much. Until next week.